Welcome to the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast, where you will learn how to identify, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around and operate mobile home parks. And now, here is your host, the fifth largest mobile home park owner in the United States, Frank Rolf. Perfection is defined as the condition, state, or quality of being free or as free as possible from all flaws or defects. In this, the first of our nine-part series on mobile home park perfectionism, we're going to talk about how to try and have perfect collections in a mobile home park. Now, there are basically two goals in collections with a mobile home park. The first is to train our residents that the rent must be paid on the due date. And the second is to not let anyone live in the community who has not paid their rent. We call the system no pay, no stay. It's very simple. If you want to live on the property, if you want to enjoy the amenities, the great location, everything it has to offer, you simply have to pay your rent every month. There's no payment plans. There's no way that you can live for a month and then pay twice the rent the following month. That kind of system is not fair. It does not work. It does not give you good paying residents that are an essential and integral part of the community. So what are the action steps to attain perfect collections? The first is to educate all residents of exactly when the rent is due and where to pay it. So in most of our communities, the rent is due on the first, and it's either paid in one of two ways. It's either given to the manager, either by hand or in a drop box at the office, or it's mailed in to a pre-designated P.O. box. To also help the residents attain this, we send invoices promptly and accurately each month, typically on the 15th of the month prior, to remind people exactly what is due, when it is due, and where to deliver the rent. The third item is you send demand notices always on the 6th of the month without fail. The rent is typically due on the 1st and late after the 5th, That means on the 6th, if you do not have the rent, you need to notify them that you do not have it and that if they don't pay you, you'll start the evictions process. And this is called a demand letter. Every judge seems to have his own take on what exactly it resembles and when it goes out. It's typically normally falls under state law, but you should always check with the judge that handles evictions to find out you do it exactly as they want. But that should always go out as soon as legally possible. Then, anyone who does not pay by the 5th, you also charge them a late fee. So they have a financial punishment for not paying you when the money is due. And that helps to urge them every month to pay you when the rent is due. Next, you file evictions on the first date after the end of the demand letter. So, if the demand letter says you have 10 days to pay, as it does in some states, and you mail that out on the 6th, That means the 10th day would be the 16th, and on the 17th, you can then file the eviction in court. Finally, you're going to go to court, and when you go to court, you almost always win because A, the person didn't pay the rent and has no proof that they did, and B, they normally don't show up in court. It's one of the strange things about mobile home park evictions is residents probably only show up in maybe 10 to as much as 20% of all cases. Now, once you've won in court, what happens? Well, the court will tell you exactly what happens. Normally, there's a period where the person can appeal the eviction. 
It's not common, seldom successful, but nevertheless, the right is theirs. Now, to appeal an eviction in most courts, you have to post a bond, which is the same as the rent that is owed. And if they had that money, they would have obviously paid you. So I don't think I've ever seen in over 20 years anyone ever appeal an eviction. And as soon as the appeal process ends, on that date, you can now file for what's called the writ of possession. So you then file for the writ of possession, and the constable goes out and notifies the resident that within so many hours, he will return to supervise the removal of all of that person's belongings, which is a process most people do not obviously want to be involved in. So often when you do file for the writ of possession, this final, final action, what will happen is when the resident gets notified they're about to be thrown out of the home, they will then call and make arrangements to pay. And bear in mind that throughout the process, anytime a resident wants to pay you, they must pay all the costs of your actions to that date. So the rent is due on the 1st and the grace period through the 5th, so that's simply the rental amount. Starting on the 6th, though, now they have a late fee based on whatever the state allows. If you then have to file your eviction, you have the filing cost. If you have to go to eviction, you have the legal cost, or you may also have legal cost in filing. Then if you have to file for the writ of possession, then that's another cost. And if you have to hire a mover to go out there to help move the things out with the cost, well, you have another cost. And all these costs that the resident has incurred by their failure to pay on time, they must also pay all those costs to call the whole thing off. So if they want to go ahead and pay you off in full, after the eviction, they'll have to pay late fee, filing cost, legal cost, whatever other costs you had to go to court. If they want to get out of it after You've already filed for the writ of possession. They'll have to pay again all those fees plus the writ of possession fee. So as you can see, it can get very, very costly. The average lot rent in the U.S. is about $280 a month. If you add on all those costs, you could be at double or triple that amount. So obviously, it's definitely the resident's best interest to pay you on time. Now, here are some other things to talk about as we all strive for perfect collections. First, don't think that you will be the first to make payment plans work. I tried it. Dave's tried it. Other operators have tried it. And we all have the same conclusion. It simply is an ineffective and improper way to run your property. What happens is the resident, if you give them the payment plan, they then promise to pay you, for example, this month's rent next month, which means they're going to pay two months of rent at one time. Well, they don't have the money to do that. It's clearly not going to work. And by you forgiving them and letting them do that the next month, what will happen is the next month will need another payment plan to roll part of those two months into the next month. It just doesn't work for anyone involved. So payment plans are a bad idea. In fact, I will tell you from experience, if you want to have your tenant get in real trouble, give them a payment plan. It's almost a certain way that they will lose their home. If they have to pay you rent each month, they'll try and find a way to do it. They might even borrow money from friends and family. But if you let them build up the big balances that typically payment plans entail, then they are lost and they'll never be able to get caught up. Another thing worthy of consideration is cash for keys. Now, how does cash for keys work? Well, cash for keys is an interesting concept. What you do is you go to the resident and say, okay, you can't pay your rent, so I have a plan. If you can be out by Monday, for example, 
I will give you $300 in cash in exchange for the keys. All you have to do is pack up your stuff, clean up the home, don't do any further damage to the home, come to the office, hand me the keys, and I will hand you $300. Now, why is cash for keys effective? Well, for several reasons. One, it typically makes the resident not damage the home quite so much. Sometimes a resident in anger may break windows, break mirrors, who knows what they might do. Number two, it speeds up the process and it actually saves you money. Let's just model this for a minute. Let's assume I have a park-owned home that I'm renting out for $800 a month. The resident hasn't paid me. Now, if I file the eviction, I will start incurring costs of my own. The eviction costs, perhaps legal fees, let's say that's $500. The resident still isn't going to pay. They don't have to get the rent of possession. That's, let's say, another $200. Now I've got $700 in legal costs, but the resident isn't going to pay me anything. So I've lost $700 out of my pocket. Meanwhile, I have the opportunity cost because I'll lose $800 a month for this month's rent. And by the time I get all those things done, maybe next month's rent too. So now I'm at $1,600 in rent and I'm out another $700. So I'm out $2,300 so far. And that doesn't even include what extra damages they'll do. If I can swap that money for nothing more than a few hundred dollars in cash, I am definitely smart to do that. I'll also tell you it often eases the situation for everyone if you simply do cash for keys, because that is going to, again, give the resident at least a lifeline to move out of the property and get back on their feet. So cash for keys is great if you can pull it off. However, it doesn't always work. Some residents, they know that the longer they sit there, the more they'll save, because your $300, that isn't going to get them very far. If they go, you can use that in a hotel, it's going to get them, what, three days, six days, so they'll figure they can camp out in your property for maybe a month or more without any serious issues. So cash for keys kind of works both ways. But if you can do it, it's great. Next thing to think about is you can never, ever forgive late fees. Because if the late fee is truly warranted and you forgive that, you will start training people not to pay their rent on time. This is where most of your mom and pops get in trouble in our industry is they have trained people that it's not important that they pay each month. And when you do that, what happens? You simply don't get paid. If you ever go in to most mobile home residents' homes, you'll see a vast quantity of bills spread across kitchen tables or counters. And those bills are like a stock exchange. They're sorting them constantly based on how much money they have to spend. And you'll notice at the top left corner, that's the bills that have to be paid, such as car payments. Things where if they don't pay it, terrible things will befall them, like losing their car. And then the bottom right of the stack, those are things that they don't care if you ever do anything or not. Magazine subscriptions, maybe even some rent-a-center items they decide they don't want anymore. So the people in the bottom right, they never get paid. The people on top left always get paid. If you have a late fee, you'll be in the top left because you are their housing. You're their shelter. And on top of that, they don't want to pay the big late fee. If you do not charge the late fee or you start forgiving late fees, guess where you end up? You're going to be right down there on the bottom right corner, never getting paid. And don't forget that for most of our residents, it's not an economic issue if they don't pay you. With an average lot rent in America of $280 a month and a minimum wage of $725 an hour, and probably going up in the future, that means that our rent actually still falls under complete affordability even at minimum wage. So it's not a money issue, it's a priority issue. 
People don't want to pay rent. Why would they? There's way more fun things you can do with your money than pay rent. But if you don't force them to pay, if you don't charge them the late fee, and if you don't get the whole process of eviction, you're going to train them that rent is optional. Why pay rent when you have all those other bills to pay? Many things that you enjoy much, much more. One final item on perfect evictions and the goal of having perfect collections is try and find ways not to spend so much on legal fees. Not to offend lawyers, my brother's even a lawyer, but the problem is lawyers are not always exactly in tandem with your goals because when they're charging you the fee, you're the person who has to pay it and that goes against your net income and the net income for the park. Often, you will find that in many courts, you don't have to use lawyers on as many steps as you thought. For example, you can typically file the eviction without being a lawyer, and you can file that from afar, and that starts the whole process. We have found that many, many of our customers are going to pay the rent if they get served by the constable. And you can get them served if you simply mail in the action, the filing of the eviction, with the appropriate fee. So why have an attorney take that step unless they have to? Also, see if it's possible for you to represent yourself or your manager to represent you in those cases. If you plan on going out and visiting your property every so often and you don't have that many evictions, you may take the opportunity when evictions fall to use that as your trigger to go visit the property and you'll pay for the whole trip and the legal costs that you save. Many judges will allow the owner of the property to represent themselves. However, many will not. But just be smart with your evictions filings. Some park owners will, in fact, file the evictions themselves from afar, because you can do it from your home, and then they won't have an attorney show up in court. And in some courts, if the mobile home park resident doesn't show up, then the park wins by default if they simply have the manager show up and say, here, you never even have to approach the bench. You don't even have to be an attorney. So just check all the angles and find out if there's not lesser expensive ways that you can utilize to file those evictions to save you money and improve your net income. That's how you get perfect collections. It's not a complicated process. It's relatively simple. What's predicated on success is you sticking and adhering to those principles over and over every month. Follow those key dates. File those items on time. You are the entire time training the residents to pay the rent. And the minute you stop, they lose that training. They stop paying and you have no way to ever attain perfection in collections. Hope you enjoyed this, the first in our nine-part series on mobile home park perfectionism. Up to bat next, we'll be talking about how to achieve perfect occupancy. This is Frank Roth of the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast Series. Talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast. Be sure to visit us at mhpmastery.com to subscribe to the show, read our show transcriptions, and access all of our great information on mobile home park investing. 